0: My name is Era and I'm the host of the Tamil Creator podcast. I chat with creators from all over the world to share their stories and discuss hot topics in a way that I hope inspires, educates and entertains you. Hi everyone, this is Era from the Tamil Creator. Um, I have a very musically gifted guest today. His name is Sundar Viswanathan and he is a Canadian musician. He's been in the game for almost 30 years. Uh, He's that grew up in Sudbury and now he travels the world performing. He is a jazz world woodwind player, composer, vocalist, and international touring artist with extensive performance and teaching experience in the US and Canada. And more recently, his world jazz group Avatar took home the 2022 Juno for a Jazz Album of the Year for group and um, with their album Worldview. So welcome to the show, Sundar. Thank you for making time considering you are just getting over... Um, getting sick (laughs)
1: yeah yeah thanks yeah my pleasure to be here
0: awesome well um you know let's start at the beginning i mean i'm always fascinated by people in the tamil community that have somehow been able to convince their parents to do something other than the uh, traditional career paths how did you manage to convince your parents that um, pursuing music professionally was viable in their eyes (laughs)
1: Well, the convincing happened when I showed them that I could do it. it, it up till that point, it was all, uh, they were skeptical. I mean, my, uh, my mom's side of the family is very musical. So they understood that, uh, you know, someone can have passion about the arts and about music specifically and that uh, how important it can be in someone's life. But um, at the same time, both my dad and my mom, like you say, they were they weren't, they were, by no means were they traditional Indian parents, though. They were, they were very open-minded minded Indians, especially for the day when I was growing up. Um, so uh, they were open to give me an option. To, 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 you know, they would, they would say, you know, you know what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And the only reason my dad really allowed me, like, quote, unquote, allowed me to go and continue music as a career was because I promised him that I would get my doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, he was a professor. So that made sense to him. So he, he for him, it was if you got your doctorate, you have a job. That was his thinking in those days. Um, and uh, so along the way, I mean, an interesting point is that my mom, you know, mind you, I, I left home when I was seventeen, went to university, and I was away uh, since then. I'd been away from home, uh, so she had only heard me actually heard my, me actually play my own music the past couple of years. Is the first time she actually heard me play. My own music, believe is crazy. It seems crazy because I uh, it was a long time that I've been doing it. But uh, she has not actually heard me play live my own music
0: uh, until recently.
1: You,
0: you um, grew up in Sudbury, so are your parents still living there? Yeah, my dad
1: passed in two thousand five. My okay. mom is now in uh, Mississauga, uh, okay. so we left Sudbury when he passed, and and then she, uh, yeah, she moved uh, to Caledon first. It was like she has a condo up there. In a community and then uh she's in mississauga so uh we have a lot of families so i still have i still consider sudbury a kind of a home base but um yeah but uh in the olden days it was tough to to uh make them happy with regard to what i was doing and the only way that that really I, i'll be to be honest that the only time that i knew that my dad was happy with my career choice was when i uh well twice maybe when i got my actually i didn't, I didn't have my doctor before he passed away now that i think about it. no i got my job before he passed away that was he was uh, i could tell he was happy because i was the only second time in my life i saw him cry <laughs> when, I, you know, when i got a job he knew i was okay so uh yeah they were very um you know they 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 understood that i love music and They'd watch, they'd see what I did. They, they'd see that I had some accolades, but still it was like, can he make real money? You know, can he actually support a family with it? So that took, took a long time for that to, do you have any siblings? I have a younger brother. Yeah. He's, he's uh, seven years younger than me. he's a, he's a, actually also very musical. He's a, we used to have a, a duo together and a duo was sorry. It was a trio in Sudbury. We called ourselves the Sudbury brothers. <laughs> and who's uh, the third? It was a third is a friend of mine who played, uh, played bass. I played guitar. My brother plays drums and uh, we did all the pop tunes. We did Beatles stuff. We did uh, like it was, it was, uh, you know, stuff that was having the radio in those days. And we played some things here and there, some Indian functions and a couple of things. So um, yeah, he's very musical. but He's a lawyer.
0: as well. I was going to ask what he ended up doing, but uh, I guess he went down the conventional path, even though he <laughs> yeah. also had a creative side to him as well. Yeah. 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 Um, I guess growing up at Sudbury, Sudbury, I imagine there's very few, if at all, any other like, tamil or like i guess because i know you're from india like tamil uh, families um yeah. like tell us about i guess how it was for you growing up in that kind of scenario i know you had your brother but yeah like how did you guys adjust as a family as you know you guys as kids like what was your experience like
1: yeah there, there was uh, uh maybe 50 indian families in Sudbury at the time and um uh tamils i'm trying to remember we have some friends who are sri lankan tamil um, who who live in Sudbury, but they may not. They not They weren't there at that time. They came in later. Um, so I think, hmm, I trying to remember. Well, no, there's one other Tamil family I remember. Uh, maybe only one other Tamil family that I can recall right now. So growing up, yeah, I didn't grow up with a lot of Indians around me. I mean, mind you, the community, yes, but that was only during in times when we had community events, Diwali or, or uh, you know prayer meetings, whatever it was, weekends. Um, that's when I saw other Indians. Otherwise I was, uh, in my high school, I was the, uh, there was the only, I think I was the only Indian in my high school. There was one other Pakistani, uh, guy who was a year ahead or two years ahead. And there was a couple of Pakistani girls who were the same years as me, but I was the only Indian male at that high school, uh, through, hmm, I think my, far as I know my entire high school career. And that was, that was tough really was tough. And I can, get, I can get right to the racism now if you want.
0: Right? Oh, well, I was going to ask. I mean, Absolutely. I know I know people have a notion that Canada doesn't really have that much of it. I, I think it's more subtle at times. But oh. I know, especially like, you know, when you were growing up, I think it was a bit yeah. more obvious. So yeah, yeah, tell us about that.
1: Subtl- subtlety wouldn't be a word that I'd use to describe that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I was overtly bullied. I was pushed around. I was, I was, I, I could look forward to it every day to be pushed around and um if we were doing gym that day I could be assured to be kicked and knocked into the mud or whatever it would be it was bad it was really bad and uh um you know the the the, I was called uh, you know racist slurs um and uh it was it was you know I remember my teachers kind of like they didn't do anything in those days they just sort of stand around and they kind of like, look, and they say, all right, all right, that's enough, guys. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the whole boys will be boys, <laughs> that kind of thing, right? So there was no sort of, there was no protection, really. And and I my dad was very much anti, anti, anti-violence, anti very much a pacifist, very much a Gandhian. And you know he used to tell me, oh, you can walk, you just have to walk away. Like, well, you can't always walk away from those things. You can try, and I tried many times. Uh, but I didn't get into fights. I was also I, I, I restrained myself, but there was a lot of um, a lot of racism um, like against Indians and probably also, uh, you know, black people that were there in Sudbury and and, and uh, indigenous people, too. So it was it was a very racist, a very racist place in those days. Um, I did love it, though. I mean, a lot of things I liked about it. I mean, uh, racism, I have to say, is one thing that led me to music that really led me to music and to really exploring music in a very deep level because I I, I, could, I didn't want to go outside and because I stayed in and I just did my music and I found music and I realized, that, you know, I, I, I could do that for a long period of time uh, at one time. And uh, so that was, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to say that I would change things because, you know, who knows if, if I was the most popular guy in town where I would have gone, right? I might not have gone to the music like I did. Um, ironically, and interesting, my brother, who was, like I mentioned, seven years younger than me, he actually was one of the more popular guys in the school.
0: What was the difference in like his, was it just like Sudbury became less racist or like more immigrant families? Or what was the change?
1: I think a little bit of all of that um, because he definitely wasn't the only Indian there. And also he was more athletic. And so he, he was on different teams and, and he ended up becoming the president of the school. It was like, it was a whole night and day scenario here. You know, I was, I was, you know, Went through all that, uh, a lot of bullying and a lot of racism, and he didn't go through any. I don't, as far as I know.
0: How does that make you feel? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh,
1: well, I don't care. I mean, you know, I'm kind of like I say again. It's like I've, uh, I've sort of evaluated those things quite a bit over the years, a lot over the years, and I've worked on a lot of different things as a, as a musician, as an artist, as a human being, about uh, my relationship with all those things, and I realize that things happen for a reason, and uh, you know, I mean, race. I'll never say racism is a good thing. I would never say, oh, you should encourage, you should, you should try to get someone to be racist against you. It'll actually make you a better musician, <laughs> something <laughs> like that. But uh, I will say that for me, that did, you know, drive me. Like it made me it a little bit of a fire under my butt. You know. And made me really decide, you know, I, I, I love music. It wasn't the racism. I love the music, but it was like, I got I'm going to make, I'm going to make this happen. And I'm going to make, I don't care if somebody else says this. It wasn't the, not just that. It was also like when I came across the many sort of uh, challenges within the music industry um, for many different reasons. Um, and those, you know, in those moments, I, I, um, I could fight back and work harder. It wasn't, I didn't give up or I was like, yeah, you know, maybe music isn't my thing. You know what I mean?
0: Do you ever uh, do you ever look up those guys that uh, bullied you on Facebook or kind of see what they're up to? I have, oh, yes. I have,
1: you know, ironically, one guy that did bully me, I did. I said to him, you know, you used to, you know, you used to treat me very badly. He used to bully me. in back in those days, he wasn't as much. Because there was just there was, there was different groups of people who used to, used to bully me. There was a certain gang that lived in my street. There was like there was a couple of different groups in, in school. I mean, I was, um, I was, I, I was really into music, obviously, you know, I'm in high school also. So in high school, I took music and took band and all that. And um, there was even like a guy in the band who used to, you never called me racist, but he bullied me in different ways. And he was the guy like he, he that I sort of saw on, saw on Facebook. And I said, Hey man, like you realize, you know, what you're, uh, what you did back because I don't, I don't remember that. All I remember is that I knew that you would make it make it big i was like wow that's really weird (laughs) you know it's this like perception and and you know when you think about it though people who do that is is part of it sometimes it's jealousy
0: right and insecurity
1: insecurity yeah so you know some of these things are it's interesting when they reveal themselves later potentially whatever you know whether this is really what happened or really what was happening in those days or not but it certainly does the perspective change my perspective has changed on some of those things
0: It's so fascinating that you kind of were able to, at least now, maybe shape the narrative, at least in your mind, that, you know, what was a terrible thing when you were growing up as a young boy in Sudbury, kind of experiencing racism actually drove you to kind of being musically inclined and over time being excellent at it, where now you're making a living. So it's like this this thing that your brother didn't experience, that you experience, you know, changed your trajectory, which is so fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, at the end of the day, it was like any any kind of challenge experience or experience that makes you um, question certain things about yourself. You can either, you can go, you know, pretty pretty, practically two ways. One way is you can, you can, you can buckle, you can fall down and you can give up or you can fight, you know, your fight, whatever that is and keep going and keep have that, keep having some kind of optimism or, Whatever the fire or whatever it is under you. And, and I chose the latter. Um, I mean, I've always been an optimistic kind of person and um, you know, to give me an example, I've also been a pretty gullible and naive person in the past. I will accept that too, but uh, it's a ex- quick example. I mean, one of these kids who used to bully me all the time and he used to do nasty stuff. He, like I mentioned before, he tripped me in the mud and then he'd come over my face and laugh over me. And this was not, uh, not, not, not a pleasant feeling. And, uh, you know, I, I, was the kind of guy. And again, I, I, I use the term gullible, but let me say innocent, rather <laughs> than gullible, um, who I, I, you know, if something that was in my mind, I, I had something, you know, an example, there was a, you know, a girl that I wanted to ask out on a date. Right. And I was like, so excited about this and somehow this bully could tell something was up. And he says, oh, he started being nice to me. Oh, what what's going on? What do you know? And like, well, I'm saying like an idiot, but I told him what my, you know, I, I, I confided in this guy who bullied me all these years. I don't know where that came from, but maybe it's my innocence of trust in people. And, uh, and of course the whole school knew about it in the next 15 minutes. But uh, so I managed to punch through or fight through without physically fighting a lot of these caustic and 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 painful situations not that it didn't leave certain scars on me for sure it did and and at one level maybe you know maybe you know it's a complicated discussion but maybe that power was always there didn't need to be activated through bullying you know and maybe it was just the bullying would have maybe limited me maybe i would would have been even bigger (laughs) more like
0: going back to your parents like your dad especially um i think there's uh either the story of like you going to a specific program for school or work where like you didn't get in and your dad kind of knew that that failure would kind of or he sensed it would crush you in a way and he kind of went to bat for you yeah. and he got you a second opportunity which obviously you turned and you capitalized on to yeah. be where you are today yeah. um, I call that the mvp like a mvp moment for your dad so I'm always yeah. fascinated by these things because I'm like a a young parent where like I have twins and okay. i like you know, these early beginnings and kind of interactions with parents, like kind of the things that you do can kind of really change the trajectory of like what your kids do. So yeah, yeah. Um, like do Definitely. you like when you reflect on that, like, how does that do you share the same sentiment? like that was like an MVP moment for your? Well,
1: yeah, I yeah. see it as like um, um pivotal sort of decisions, right um, and and every, I mean, ultimately, where we are today is because of every decision that was made in our past, yeah. and uh, and where we are today is in itself and essentially it's an essential perfect place, because this is where we're meant to be. And perfect doesn't it's not a qualitative judgment. It's just it's just based on the fact that those decisions were made. This is where it needed. This is where it led things. And like my dad, as a professor, and he knew my I was always good in school. I could I did I did I had good marks in school. So he went to the dean of the last school that I auditioned for and the only school that had not rejected me. But then in my audition, uh, they called me in for an audition. It was, uh, it was, I have a lot of stories. I take a lot of your time, but I'll really quickly tell this. But I think this is another pivotal, pivotal story. This, And, and I think it's what's important about this was that I think there are people out there who may not even realize that this maybe this is part of their, maybe a part of their story too, in some way. Uh, but what happened was uh, I had sent audition tapes to all the schools that I in, uh, applied for, for my undergrad. And I got rejection notices from all of them, except for Laurier. And Laurier, uh, and I found out later why I, I didn't. So my teacher told me this later. He told me this in my third year after I'd won this competition. Uh, I'd won a, I did classical music in my undergrad. So I, I came from no classical, zero classical music background to an undergrad in classical music and practiced like crazy. And then my, my second, third year, I was winning competitions. So he told me this after a, a particularly important competition that I won. He said, you realize that you almost didn't come here?" I said, "What do you mean?" He says, "Well, um, I was—he was teaching, and he was going—he went to the office, and there was a tape being ready to be sent back, and he hadn't heard the tape yet. That was my audition tape." He said, Oh, let me just at least listen to it." She listened to it, he said, "You know, there's some talent here. We should let him come in to audition." So they let me come in to audition, and then my my audition where he wasn't there, I actually failed my audition. <laughs> so uh, that you know, double double whammy there. And then uh, my dad. Um, but my dad heard about it or there was some I actually got a feeling or something I knew or someone mentioned that somehow it had been mentioned to me. And he went and he talked to the dean. He sat down with the dean, one professor to another. You know, um, he will do well here. I can guarantee he's going to work really hard. You know, I think I don't know what, I wish I knew what my dad would have told her, because I wonder if he talked to, to told her about almost how, how much time I spent on my music, which is the pop music or whatever it was in the basement. You know, how, how diligent I was maybe that rather than that more than like a couple a company with the good marks that would have, for me, if, as a professor now, that would have been the thing that I said, okay, this guy's actually, he's actually started working on it even before he's come to university. Okay. Let's give him a chance. Right. So that was a, so that, that moment there where they let me in, they said, okay, we'll let you in. So they let me in. And if, if it wasn't for that moment, I probably would have gone into computer science. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> so that's, uh, remarkable well you're that's a that's a big move on your dad and that's a note that i'm making in my head of yeah things you know things to remember when i opportunities like this come for my kids if i can oh, step yeah. up uh, step to bat for them i will hopefully well,
1: it's 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 all those little seeds you plant right yeah, yeah all those little seeds you plant so and you know this is the whole thing about the juno it's like um um i had no expectation of winning a judo juno i i never thought that i would win and, and part of it's because of the kind of music that I write. It's not, it's not your typical jazz music, right? It's, it's pretty eclectic. Uh, it has a lot of influences, um, especially world influences. And um, you know, I, I, I've been in enough bands and seen enough. I've seen enough of who won the Juno in the past to like kind of write it off. I wrote it off last year. We were trying not to like, well, actually the funny thing is we're making this album. I remember my, me and my bass player were talking about it. And we're like, you know, let's, let's just let that Juno go. You know, I don't think there's a, I don't think, well, yeah, you're probably right. You probably, you probably can't, you know, we probably wouldn't fit into the, into the, into the, into the, that space of, you know, what people consider the jazz album of the year, Juno. Um, but, you know, maybe we should make another album or some like other kind of album, which is more straight ahead or more whatever and actually aim for Juno or whatever. Right. You know, uh, let's just be our, let this, this be the artistic project. And I said, yeah, I agree. It's probably right. So we just did what we needed to do, produce it how we wanted to produce it, etc. And then uh, we got the nomination. Then I was like, uh, I was flabbergasted. I was just I was shocked that I, I that I even got a nomination. That was, That was what I was aiming for. I was aiming for a nomination right? I thought, okay, I got a nomination. Wow, this is amazing. Back in my mind, I was like, you never know. But I was like, I don't want to be too optimistic because I still also, I get disappointed too, like everybody else, right? And then, uh, you know, you see what happened. I mean, it's almost like this critical mass that you create over the years. And I've been creating this critical mass for the past 30 years, playing, you know, professionally and, and writing music, spending hours and hours and hours and hours. There's a, there's a kind of a funny thing. My family, well, it's not that funny, but my, some of my family, like they, they like to make this joke that I don't have a job, right. That I don't work <laughs> that. Yeah. You don't want to do any work. All you do, you know, cause my time is different than their time. Like I, I, my time's a little more flexible, but I'm working all the time. <laughs> they don't see this. Right. Uh, yeah. Put the kids to bed. I, I'm downstairs practicing or writing music or something. Right. Um, but um, all that time that I put in all the, after all those years, something's got to give, you know, you put it with enough honesty and sincerity and authenticity i believe that everybody uh can manifest in that way it's kind of like you you create that you know the malcolm gladwell, uh, gladwell you know um uh, tipping 10, 000, point uh, 10, hours of purposeful yeah. practice yeah yeah and you create the tipping point with the decisions that you make that there though like you said is the key what are the decisions that you make that's really important
0: this episode is sponsored by nobody that's right nobody so if you could be kind enough to hit that subscribe button, that would mean a lot to me. There's a couple of facts or a couple of like things that I think of. One is compound interest, not just money wise, but like yeah. skills and like networks. And you've yeah. been doing it for 30 years. Like that's been compounding like crazy. A lot of people don't do something that long, like mm-hmm. a particular kind of skill industry, all that stuff. Number two is it's funny how I guess music is very similar to being an entrepreneur, which I am, where um When people like kind of ask you what you do, you don't you can't really fully describe all that you do, but you do a lot of stuff. And it's not necessarily like one continuous flow of like work or like what people consider work. It's like it's kind of like in sprints, where instead of like a cow, you know, grazing grass, you're kind of like a like a lion where you sprint and you do, you know, work for like an hour or two when you're inspired or like, you know, you're in that particular state of mind to do that task. And then you go take a break and people kind of if they catch you on the break, they're like, Oh, you're never working, but like you probably end up being more work than somebody that's actually like in a nine to five or typical right. job. So. Yeah. But it, uh, the
1: thing about this type of career, it never stops.
0: Yes, Cause there's yeah.
1: always ideas, always music in my head. Um, uh, You know, mind you when I'm sick, it's a little harder to do that. But you know, when you're, when you're in, you're in a regular day, there's always stuff going on. And um I, I, when you were saying that, it was inter- I was thinking about like, the, I had kind of had this visual image of, you know, birds who fly about and collect, you know, little, little kinds of materials, maybe like little flower petals for their nest or whatever. And they collect this and that. And as they're collecting these flower petals and flying about, the seeds from these flowers or from whatever they're collecting are falling all over the place. Yeah. Right. And uh, so you find these things growing everywhere. And it's not because they, they, they ended up there randomly. I mean, they didn't. It's kind of random, but it's not random because there was an action behind it. There was yep. an intention behind it. Right. And it wasn't this intention to particularly plant the seeds it was intention to have something else to accomplish
0: something else. Yep. No, I fully agree. Yeah. You're speaking about kind of like, I actually was taking a listen to your album yesterday on Spotify yeah. and uh, I'm not a jazz fan. I would say like, I would say like my wife and actually her dad are like really into that, yeah. but I was just, you know, I was just curious to kind of what your, your sound and yeah, like it's not what I typically heard when I've listened to jazz music. So yeah. it's very like interesting. Like, so um, tell us kind of, where you draw inspiration from or like why you chose the influences or like the sounds that you do to kind of go into your music
1: well i've um, uh through my study of music I've, I've 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 heard a lot of different music a lot of different music and you know my, my interests range you know from when i was a high schooler to listening to bands like rush pink floyd yes you know etc cetera, etc cetera, art rock and 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 and, and top 40 and then um, later I started some, I studied some world music, classical music, jazz. Uh, so the music that I'm writing, I mean, at one point I would have told you I would have called it Indo jazz, but I'm not calling that anymore because I don't find that my music is just reflective of one thing. It's reflective of so many things. And it, and at the end of the day, it's like, what have I listened to? What about What am I really into? For instance, little uh, this past couple years i've been a little bit more into you know you know soul and um um jazz hop or or jazz mixed with with soul and jazz mixed with hip-hop uh robert glasper experiment things like that um and uh that kind of it kind of crept's been creeping into my psyche it's creeping into my brain and my ear and when i write music uh, the music that comes out is something that's kind of an amalgamation of all the things I've been listening to, and it can, and it might have something that comes from, you know, art rock that I listened to when I was in high school, but I don't realize it. Like I had people tell me that I'm hearing, I hear yes in there, the band yes, I hear that in there. It's like wow, you know, think about it. maybe you were kind of right. I do hear that, but I was not thinking about that, um, or I hear this or this. I hear so many different people tell me that they hear different things in the music because of uh, all the music I've been, I listened to. Um, so I'm trying not to n- make my music one thing. Like when I, when someone says, you know, is it Indo jazz? I used to, I, in the back of, you know, maybe the last album I always said, it's yes, more Indo jazz. I, I, I don't know. It's just jazz world jazz influenced by world music. I love <clears throat> Brazilian music. It's a big, big influence on me. Like Bossa Nova um, and African music. Uh, African drumming music. You know, when I lived in New York, I used to play with uh, African drummers, and uh, a lot of my drummers that played in my bands were. That's one big thing that they did: African, a lot of percussion in the bands that I played in. So, <clears throat> um, that's that's crept in to my inner ear, and all this stuff is in there. So, um, I would say I listen to all kinds of stuff. Like I listen to everything. Um, any any you know a great musician and, and uh, composer once said there's only two kinds of music you know good music and bad music right mm-hmm. and uh so anything that's good I mean I, I used to listen to country music you know I can get into it I can get into uh I can get into heavy metal I can get into thr- I can get anything I can get anything you know it depends, you know, if it's if something's extreme, there's, you know, uh, extolling some violence or, you know, misogynism and stuff. I'm not, I'm not into that, but, you know, any kind of good music you know, that's a relative term, but uh, yeah, there's a, a wide range of things I listen to, but I would say if you want to get into uh, you know, a little more broadly or sorry, narrow it down a bit jazz from modern jazz to early jazz, and world, different kinds of world music. Those are my biggest influences on on my writing.
0: I know we kind of skipped ahead when we kind of started talking about you winning the Juno, but even before that, like when you finished school and kind of getting into the professional world of being a musician, um, what was your first job? Or like, how did you find your first opportunity? So I'm curious yeah. about that. Well, um, so my,
1: my first jobs weren't music. Um, they were like odd oh, jobs like washing cars and stuff. But my uh, music, when I went to undergrad, I was a classical major, like I mentioned. And, and then I started, I started my, my teacher. I also have to think, well, along the line, speaking of decisions, my teachers, I have to thank, like, very grateful to my teachers. Um, the one guy, Doug Pullen, who was the guy who found the tape, he became my teacher uh, and uh, for, the, for the next four years. And he was really important in, in my trajectory, um, really made me create a lot of the foundations for me in my saxophone playing. And uh, he also introduced me to jazz. He was a classical teacher, but he introduced me to jazz. And then uh, I wanted to be able to do that. And one thing we have to do in jazz is, if you want to be able to do it, you actually have to play. So my friend and I, we found somebody who was also, you know, a drummer and a bass player who were into interested in jazz who didn't have, who had but little or none experiences we had. And we went out to a, a local bar restaurant, like a wing joint, and said, "Can you give us give us a gig?" He said, "All right, I'll give you a gig. I'll pay you in wings." I was like, "All right, <laughs> we'll do it." Right. And so we did that once a week. If I don't remember how long but we did it for a while. And, you know, I sounded terrible, I, I'm, but, you know, we all do in the beginning and uh, worked hard. But my first, yeah, the first thing was just playing for food, you know, when I was, when I was an undergrad.
0: And then how did that translate to your first gig for money?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. So then I, but, but in the meantime, I was practicing very, very, very hard. Um, yeah. I was, I was putting in eight hour days on the saxophone. Uh, consistently. Um, I, you know, um, I believe that anybody who wants to master something, there needs to be periods of obsession. And this was definitely obsession. I went through about five, six years of practicing eight hours a day consistently. Um, and uh, it worked, <laughs> believe it or not. I actually got better fast. And, uh, and then I started um, finding some things here and there where people, you know, I, I can't remember, I may have done a wedding or two when I'm undergrad. I could play a couple of jazz tunes um, and then uh, but then my real more of a consistent thing uh, I think the first thing that I did was was playing music wasn't jazz was was playing in the ceremonial guard band on in Ottawa and marching marching on Parliament Hill every morning in the summer that was my first audition for that and I got in it's a very high level marching band uh, I could practice a lot every day and there was a bit of jazz happening too and uh, and we played a lot so I just found it, uh, uh, practiced for the audition, made it. And uh, that was my first one. And that was not jazz. So my first one was classical music. And then jazz came after with the cruise ships when I started playing on cruise
0: ships. And like now, obviously, like, you know, you had humble beginnings at the beginning, you know, playing for wings. And now, you know, you travel, you're like a very highly acclaimed uh, musician. And now you're, you know, I don't know how often you're on the road now versus like in your heyday, but, um, you know, you're constantly on the road and traveling for performances. So like, how do people like book you? Like, how does that like work in terms of like um, compensation point of view? I'm just like trying to understand that space of like, because I know with like you know if you're like a beat maker or like in hip hop, kind of how kind of the money works there. But like, how does it work in your world with like touring and?
1: It's still it's it's still a, a network networking world. I mean, I've networked hard over the past. Twenty years too, um, and uh, you know people uh, get to know who you are, and and then uh, you get a reputation. Um, I um, I've I done a i have done did a pretty extensive tour in South Africa. I did some tours in Canada. Uh, I've toured um, the, not necessarily with my band, but with different bands. I've toured uh, Europe with my own product, like with a, as a soloist, and Japan. Um, so all these tours that I've done, uh, you know, uh, the States, Europe uh, Africa, played in India, played in, in South, uh, in Japan, etc. All these were for, they started by networking, they started by talking to people. Um, it <clears throat> started by, um, you know, for instance, the tour, I did a tour in a pretty high profile tour in Europe of all the major jazz festivals with, I, I did that with a big band out of New York. This big band was a Grammy nominated big band. And, um, the leader of the band is a is kind of a legendary musician and a couple of musicians in the band were also legendary like elder statesman he's in this probably 70 now and uh these were all oh, so these guys had names they had profiles so i piggybacked on their profile and managed to get into the he you know he liked my playing he asked me to play in this this tour i played this tour and uh so piggyback with him and then you make contacts on the road that way and then you follow up with him so with my own projects um, I've, you know, I have my, my Excel sheet with all my contacts that I try to, you know, when it's not pandemic, I, I uh, try to follow through with and see what's going on and see if there's anything going on and try to pitch, pitch for another tour. And then you have to, you know, do a tour nowadays, very difficult to do a tour um, unless you have some kind of travel support. And the government has a bunch of arts grants, uh, you know, consider especially now the airfares uh, to get over to Europe for six people you're looking at um, you know ten thousand bucks, right? Just to get over there, and then there's the fees, the hotels, et cetera, et cetera. So it becomes a pretty complex and expensive endeavor. So um, there are grants where people where, where you can apply for these grants, and you know you you have to uh, have a high level product and also be able to write a grant well. Then you can get them, and I've been able to get a few of them uh, that help me tour. Uh, so it's a networking thing, and if I had a huge name, like if I was Zakir Hussein, it wouldn't matter because then everybody would just call me and I could I have a manager and I could just focus my music and not do anything else. But as it is now, I have to do my legwork. I have to call people. I have to send emails. I have to make the
0: pitch. And then uh, hopefully the tour comes through. So it's a lot of work. So I guess it's like, you're pretty much running a business while being a musician where yep. before going on tour, you got to make sure whatever you're getting paid covers your yep. costs or salaries or like whatever everyone wants to get yep. paid yep it uh, doesn't
1: and most of the time it does not
0: oh it doesn't cut like the cost of what you're getting I
1: mean, most the money you're does. making doesn't
0: cover your costs
1: no most of the time it does not like if i get what i got a, like i did that tour i got a grant to south africa um it's kind of like i i, I saw it also as kind of exchange canadian uh i'm a uh, south african exchange guys doing workshops and things like that too in schools and that uh so uh i i I think I, I only lost a bit of money. I didn't lose a ton of money on that tour, but it was a big tour, and uh, um, South Africa's, you know, there's a lot of air flights. You have to fly to every city practically. It's such a big country, so it was expensive. And uh, so, yeah, I don't think I've had a couple of tours where I've made a little bit of money, but but often you don't. And and this is the, this is, so this is you know, this is like this is a conversation that could be very long because how do musicians do it? well they, the only way the most can do it the way most can do it is cuz they have to teach they also have to teach right so they have to teach and then people accept that they're not going to make a ton of money on tour they make you know you, you do the best you can and then you make uh, a certain amount of money is what what the, depending on your profile and then um, hopefully that that is satisfactory you know, And then maybe you'll sell some CDs while you're on the road. Now I don't even sell CDs, nobody even buys CDs. So so uh, that's that's not in, uh, in the picture.
0: So I guess for you, it's like the touring kind of satisfies the creative or like that, like, you know, just kind of being live and engaging with fans of mm-hmm. jazz and music. And then the teaching part, you, you still get to engage with that side where you're teaching folks about music or, yeah. the, you know, the next cinder, right? But... Um, I guess, like, really teach, the teaching is subsidizing you being able to go on tour, essentially. A lot yeah. with grants, hopefully, that you get. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, every now and then, you'll get something where it covers your airfare, and you'll make a taste after that. Like, you'll make a little bit of money after that. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, I got to say, I got I to, gotta, you know, give a big shout-out to Canada Council for the Arts and Interior Arts Council, because they have supported a lot of great music uh, being, you know, Canadian music being spread around the world. Without them, the music, you know, our music would not go to the places that it goes. You mm-hmm. know, so it's amazing, amazing thing that we have that. I mean, it's kind of like the NEA or the the in, in the states where they have certain grants. You know, uh, in the states, it's a lot more about corporate grants. So they have a lot more corporate money that goes towards the arts. Uh, Canada doesn't have that so much, so that's our. Uh, do you think that'll change in the future, or do you think it'll just? I wish it. I wish there. I I would love that there would be. More people, you know. Look, at the end of the day, I would love it if presenters would pay what artists are worth. Um, what happens often is when you're playing a festival or a concert or something, they have other people like series, concert series. There might be one or two big names in the in the, in the run. They'll save all their money for those big names, and then they'll have like some left over for everybody else. You know, um, the fees vary incredibly um in in this industry and i i know this too because i used to program music uh, for an arts organization for 10 years i I was a programming chair of an arts organization and we used to present uh you know legendary artists and also local artists and the money ranges widely the fees Mm -hmm. and and i just would like to see in the future that artists get paid closer to what they're worth the thing is that most people see they only see oh yeah but michael jackson look how rich he was of course, Michael Jackson was rich, but how many Michael Jacksons were there? How many starving people out there that are playing music? Maybe not, maybe not as well as Michael, but there are some out there who are probably as you know, as talented as him, but just aren't getting the breaks. Right. And they're not, they're not able to, to, to so then they end up like, you know, some end up giving up or they end up doing something else to get frustrated. So it's, it's a much more challenging industry than maybe a lot of people know.
0: So I guess in these kind of industries, like whether it's music or like other ones like this, it's always, I guess advice we could be potentially start earlier so that when you do have less overhead in your life or less responsibility, you kind of really go after it. Yeah. That's,
1: that's one great way to get, to get the momentum going is when you start young and then you people touring when they're twenties. Like i I've uh, I've heard about bands that will still, you know, they'll rent a van, they'll travel across the country, sleep in the van. Say, so, yeah, I can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that 20 years ago, yeah, I could do it. But, you know, I can't do that
0: anymore. You, you've you been to a lot of places, like, kind of when you travel. You mentioned, like, Japan, South Africa, et cetera. Outside of, like, Canada, which is awesome, um, which place in the world did you really like from both, like, a, tourist point of view but also like playing your music like in terms yeah. of people I enjoying mean, your music
1: japan was amazing uh i japan love japan was,
0: by the way i've been there once and yeah. i i love it but yeah continue. Place. i mean uh there's first of all in tokyo there's
1: something like 200 jazz clubs probably the most jazz clubs of any city in tokyo and and the, but some of them are tiny they're, they're you know, 20 seats or whatever it is and uh, playing some of these clubs, no one would understand English, right? I'd be playing, and I was playing uh, uh, the, for that one. I was doing a couple original stuff but mostly standards. I was singing and playing uh, on that tour, and um, um, you know, even my band, who was Japanese musicians, none of them could really speak English very well. So the language of music had to had to serve for everything, right? Explain how to, you know, this tune and this tune, how this works. It was all, you know, just show how this works. And the people in Japan are different in jazz clubs. They don't clap after you take a solo, after you improvise, you know, whereas here they'll clap. And so, my first couple of concerts, I was like, did they, they really like, are they, are they, you know, what are they thinking? But then at the end, they, they get, you know, it's, it, there's, a, there's a lot of applause and they're very happy and very enthusiastic and very accommodating, very respectful. I really appreciated that. Um, as someone who dedicated a significant part of their life to music, Uh, you know uh, a jazz musician let's say uh getting respect as an artist is really important because um, this is it's a very very difficult it's 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 difficult like i i i I, not to say that anything else is not difficult but um music you know being on stage and trying to to perform at a certain level uh, consistently is it's not not easy there's a lot of stresses and um uh expectations and such and Japan, I found, was really great that way, and, and, and the food was amazing, and um, um, the people were really friendly and, and accommodating and respectful, so I enjoyed that.
0: Did you know that every time you left a 5 out of 5 review for this podcast, a Tamil parent lets their child pursue a career in the creative arts? Okay, that's probably not true, but if there's a chance that it is, do you really want to jinx it? Leave a review. Do it for the young creative in you. Um. Do you... Do you find that since you've toured, like you said, you moved away from home at a young age, you've been traveling a lot for like work as well? Do you feel less connected to being Canadian or like just Canada because you're away so often, or like do you still feel that that connection because of whatever reason? Oh, no. Strong roots here. I definitely feel the connection to Canada. I mean, the more I see about world politics, the more connected.
1: Well, I mean, not that Canada's doing all the great things, but uh, at least you know seeing what's happening with the divisions in the States and the kind of fighting that's going on, the nonsense that's going on down there. Uh, I, I definitely am grateful to be here, extremely grateful. And, and then going in some other parts of the world, looking at some different standards of living, you know, uh, South Africa, as, as you know, I have to tell you South Africa was, you know, it really, I left part, you know, they say, I left my heart in San Francisco, I left my heart in South Africa. Um, it's such a incredibly warm and, and moving country. So there's different things about different you know parts of the world. I mean, it's also uh, uh, potentially a, a dangerous place, and um, uh, there's a lot of lot of uh, friction that you can that's going on there. Even besides the really really nice people, there's still there's still a lot of things going on there. But that you know it adds a certain excitement to the air, I guess. But I'm not sure whether I could. Um, I almost lived in South Africa. I got offered a job there teaching position there but i just actually started at york when i got offered that position so I, I maintained my my york job um but there's something to be said about some other countries that maybe don't have the things we have that are still kind of like striving in a way um or that maybe they're, they're, there's a different kind of way of looking at things they appreciate things more than we do you know and and it, it, it um and they 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 act that way like they, they act, there's more gratitude, you know, over in some of those places. So I, 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 I do like traveling. I do like coming back home.
0: Well, you've been, you've been in doing music for a long time. And like I said, it's very rare for someone to stick with something for a long time and get to a point where you have, where like you have a level of excellence you've tried to maintain and strive for. And, you know, the Juno kind of validates that. Um, how do you, you know, it's kind of like a relationship with even like a person, like if you're in like married. Uh, or just a long-term relationship? Like, how do you maintain your passion with music? Like, what are some things you do to kind of get yourself excited, keep learning, et cetera? Like, what do you do? Well, sometimes, you know, well, sometimes it's just a matter of finding new music that that is moving me,
1: you know. Uh, it's, you know, the thing is, though, when I start, like, there's days when I'm like, ah, okay, I gotta, I gotta get on the instrument, but I don't feel like, you know, I don't feel like getting on it. But then it's just like, okay, let me just get on it. So let me see what happens if I just play it for 10 minutes. 10 minutes turns into into an hour and a half like nothing. So you start playing it and you get to a certain point where, you know, in your career, where you've developed an ability where you can, uh, it feels good to play. Right. And so you're playing it and then it starts to feel good and better and better. And then you, then you just, then, you know, then I'm practicing for three hours, you know? So it's just a matter of just doing it. Uh, My brain might not want to do it, but my body remembers those feelings, you know, how good it feels to play. Um, you know, and then I, then I start to listen to music while I'm playing or this and that. And uh, and another way I do this is I will remember music that inspired me when I was growing up, like that really moved me. And that really made me sort of see why I did music. Uh, and then I'll put that on and that will flick the switch, you know, it'll, it, it, and I feel that inspiration, that humility, that love that comes from uh, knowing that music is, is a very, very important thing uh not only to me but just just in general to humanity you know
0: when you won the june like your juno because you've been nominated twice i think before as a composer for uh, Jeff, jaffa road i believe right
1: yeah twice for jaffa road then i was also a part of a couple of the bands that were nominated
0: but, but so then finally breaking through for worldview yeah um you know you kind of already mentioned like even being nominated was amazing but like what was that moment like when you found out that you guys actually won?
1: Oh, it was won? like you had that breakthrough yeah, it was surreal because I, I you know, we didn't—they they don't tell you this this ahead of time, right? So I, I, I had prepared the speech just in case, you know, I had the speech written up. And then we were sitting at our dining tables uh, at the Junos, and uh, and I'm looking, and the ladies mentioned something about 30 seconds per person. I was like, if I get up there, I'm never going to be able to read this in 30 seconds, <laughs>
0: right?
1: My friends, my my band was like, yeah, you better edit that. Just edit, and I was like, right, I started editing it, and, they, and then they announced the winner, and they said Avatar. And I was like, "What?" I think my man, my wife said that. I said, "Oh my god," or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, uh, so my speech went out the window because I didn't. I, you know, it's just like I just went up there and I, you know, I said what I was feeling. So it was very surreal. Like I, it was a surreal. I, I, I felt like that for a good couple of weeks. Like just kind of like this very unreal, um, um, and it was weird because it was unreal. I'm very grateful, but it was at one level, it was it was a little bit anticlimactic in a way because uh, okay I got here now what do we what do we do what's the next you know but then I'm everyone's saying you gotta just enjoy this enjoy this okay I got I promise I'll try to enjoy it I'm the type (laughs) of person who is always like trying to think ahead right to to, like the next thing that I I, I can do and so I, I gotta learn to enjoy things in their moment better
0: I think a lot of successful people like I see it in entrepreneurship where they you know when you start off, it's like, oh, I would love to sell my company for a million dollars. And you get there, it's like, oh, I'd love to sell it for 10 or 100. It's like yeah. it's like, no level of successes unless you train yourself. It's like a muscle that yeah. this is enough. Let me enjoy. I've got to where I want to. You obviously don't want to get complacent, but there's the other side, of which is nothing is ever enough, which can be a dangerous place as well. Yeah. Um, well, I
1: don't I don't think the actual acquisition of the Juno, when I, I think about it, was, was my real was the goal as I may have thought it was in the past, which is, which is interesting. Uh, Although uh, I mean, I have several goals, right? That was one goal. So let's say I did check that one off, but there's, you know, many other goals that I have. Um, um, My, my, my uh, uncle, you know, I remember in the past he used to, used to say stuff. My uncle was one, the one guy Say that if I would pick anybody who fully supported any, anybody of like that, that, that generation in my family who fully supported me in my musical career was my uncle. Um, and, uh, he, he always wanted to have, I think he, he, he had a not so secret desire to, to want to be a musician also, you know, he, 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 does a lot of film music. He he does little bands where he does like, uh, Hollywood music, Hollywood music and Bollywood music and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, he wanted to be a musician, quote unquote. Uh, and I was kind of like his, you know, he was able to sort of live vicariously through me. And so he would support me. And, and went, I remember one place I said, just, you know. He doesn't remember saying this though. will he told me you know if you when you win a grammy or whatever like that just mention my name right something like that and uh and i i, I did mention his name I mean I, I mean I forgot i couldn't mention it when i was on the stage because I, I got flustered and i forgot to mention some stuff but i did in in other interviews i've you know talked about my uncle and uh he said i don't remember saying that i'm just happy that you want it's like well, but the the, the the um the point is that certain goals are there and you think they're big goals and then you get them and then it just moves to something else.
0: I noticed when you were talking and I see this with like other um, folks that are Indian um, or maybe it's like a, I noticed the difference between Sri Lankan Tamils and Indian Tamils where when you refer to yourself or like your primary identity, it's Indian versus when it's with Sri Lankan Tamils, it's like Tamil. Um, I I don't know if you've noticed that, but like, it's, I'm just curious about that. Like, did you identify more as, Indian or Tamil, growing up, or both, or like. Well, yeah, I'm just curious.
1: I should note I was born in India
0: and I was there for three years of my life. I was born in the
1: south in Tamil Nadu, and um, uh, I would say that when I, ref- I refer to myself as Indian, um, I mean I'm not fluent in Tamil. I can understand Tamil like fairly well, um, so that's part of the reason why I wouldn't say Tamil, I suppose. Um, although my family, um, you know, we have our Tamil jokes and bad words and all the other stuff right? <laughs> that all the families have and uh you know so there's definitely a tumbleness to our family like my brother and I you know are part-time comedians not like literally part-time <laughs> in our family everyone's a comedian in our family let's put it that way everyone's always got jokes we're always dissing on people and our, our uncles and aunts for you know characteristics and like we, there's a bunch of characters in my family like probably any Indian family but it's there's a tumbleness about that about like you know, you know, Master of None, right? You've seen yes, that?
0: Yes, great. Show. So
1: I, I swear to God, I have like three or four people in my family that should have been on that show. <laughs> you know, would have been, would have nailed it. If they're like that, but they wouldn't have had to be, they wouldn't have had to change who they are. They just have to be themselves. They would have fit, just perfectly fit in. So there is a tumult, there is a tumult thing about, I don't, I, I can't, couldn't describe it to you, but there's just something about it that does make us tumble. But I do think of myself as Indian.
0: Yeah, no, it's just an observation I made. I feel like part of it could be like political where like a lot of Sri Lankan Tamils don't identify as Sri Lankan. It's like, right. because of obviously like politics yep. it's like yep. we're Tamil versus like India. You don't have that complication. It's like, you know, yeah. you're Indian, you're also Tamil, but mm-hmm. you probably referred like, you know, I don't say I'm Canadian Tamil. I say I'm Canadian, but I do say I'm Tamil as well. So mm. I was just curious about that. Um, In terms of, I guess, you know, looking back, you know, um, How old are you now? Uh-huh. I'm uh, 55. And like, if you were to kind of go back in a time machine and see, you know, visit your 16 year old self, what mm-hmm. would you tell him? I say
1: this too, first of all, this too shall pass. And uh, everything happens for a reason. You're going to be okay. It's going to be fine. Just keep going. This is all, uh, this it's, you're kind of in a game. You're kind of, you're, you're, you're in a game right now. Just play the game and, and keep
0: slugging through. Yeah. And like looking forward, like in terms of like a personal legacy point of view, like, how would you want to be remembered by your friends and family? If, you know, in a few sentences, like how would you want to be described?
1: Well, I'd like to have made a difference, whether my music makes a difference or my actions make a difference, you know, to touch people, to bring them closer to, you know, uh, to, you know, being in a place where there's more self-realization, uh, where people can, and there's more um, truth. They, you know, with a capital T. So, in other words, I would like—I I, would—I would like to have made a difference in people's lives and had them, uh, you know, become better people, and and or experience um, beauty. You know, have to, to to my music help them do that.
0: And that's a good way to kind of segue into the last segment of the podcast. It's a a fun speed run. I like to call creator confessions. So, I'm going to basically just say a bunch of statements, and you tell me the first thing that pops into mind. <laughs> okay. Ready? Yeah. All right. Favorite Tamil food?
1: Uh, uh, I, I said idli, but it's not. But I'll, that's what come to my head.
0: Something that scares you? Uh, bears. <laughs> <laughs> I never heard that one before. Um, insecurity that you have? Yeah, my, 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 I'm a short guy. My height. Uh, favorite show you're watching? Um, or watch recently, watched recently? I watched recently.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I liked uh, as old. of Cards was a good, uh, a good show. I liked that a lot.
0: Somewhere you're itching to travel to.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I would love to go back to French Polynesia.
0: Um, a fellow Tamil creator, you want to give a shout out to. Okay, yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I, I was going to say, uh, and I can't remember his name, the guy from Master, Master of None. Well, oh, was... Aziz Ansari? Aziz Ansari, yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a good guy. I was going to mention a friend of mine named Subha Shankaran, who's a, he's a great Tamil uh,
0: musician. Uh, favorite childhood memory? Um, I, I would say one of them is
1: is sitting on the roof terrace in Coimbatore, my grandpa's uh, estate house, and listening to my uncle play with his band, The Spiders, and, and keeping time on, a, on some little pieces of cookware.
0: What do you do for fun outside of work? I'm a foodie, so I like to
1: cook. I like to find new restaurants, travel. Yeah, so...
0: Favorite movie of all time? It can be English, Tamil, or it can, yeah. you can say both of them. Well,
1: Lord of the Rings is out there.
0: Uh, uh, something you've purchased in the last few years that you splurged on, but you have no regret about it. Uh, well, my, my saxophones. <laughs> <laughs> pet peeve.
1: Yeah, pet peeve when people they don't keep their promises. They don't admit it. Like they don't admit their, uh, oh, that's it. Okay, I'll take it back. Can I take it back? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy.
0: Uh, A person or celebrity that you look up to?
1: Yeah, um, I would say
0: dead or alive doesn't matter. Doesn't matter.
1: John Coltrane?
0: If you knew that you were going to die tomorrow, I regret that you would have. I was just thinking about this. Money can be hard to come by, but here is a $100 opportunity for you. Join my free newsletter for free exclusive content and a free chance to win $100 when I hold special draws. Did I mention that it's free?
1: I, I think I'd regret there's a couple of guys that when I was going to school in my master's, who were these, again, these legendary artists who I didn't know who they were at the time. And I remember I was practicing and, and, and he was teaching at the school that I, that I studied, but I never studied with him. And I was practicing, he comes in, he gets something from the room and he's about to leave, and goes, you know, you should study with me. And he was probably about 75 at the time or 80. He was, he was, he was older and he's a master. And, and I, I kind of looked at him and said, I, my, I remember thinking, why would I want to study with him when I'm studying with this other person? And now I'm like kicking myself. Cause that, that guy was a genius. Mm. I, I, I know this because, and, and I know I was thinking about it specifically because I know my younger self was like, I got, you know, I can't believe I was thinking like that, but I, I can see other kids do that make that same sort of decision. Sometimes I can see them thinking that way too. Sometimes.
0: Um, a person who's like, it could be a celebrity, but anybody whose life you'd want to experience for just one day.
1: It's funny. It's going it's back to musicians. But I'll say Miles Davis.
0: A book you've read, or a podcast you've listened to that's recently recently that, that's had an impact on you. Recently, um,
1: man, I wish sure I had more time to do reading. Uh, podcast, um, gosh, there's a, a, a podcast about I can't remember the name of it, but it's, about, it's a health podcast gary haberman or something
0: is. oh uh, yes uh, human labs uh, yeah haberman labs yeah, yeah yeah there's some there's some there's, i
1: think that's there's some, there's some pretty pretty cool stuff there
0: oh yeah his stuff is good the podcast episodes are long but really good material mm-hmm. i i listened to the one about getting sunlight first thing in the morning and the science behind that that's been pretty mm-hmm. impactful yeah. um a belief behavior or habit that's improved your life um
1: you can do anything you put your mind to
0: And finally, a piece of advice you'd give to aspiring Tamil creators out there?
1: Well, find out what your passion is. And if it's really your passion, um, there may be some decisions that you have to make, uh, whether those feed your passion or they don't feed your passion, and be willing to make those choices. Um, But don't get thrown off the pathway of your passion um, because there'll be many many opportunities to go off the path and to not come back. Sometimes you have to go off the path to come back, but the decisions you make should always lend themselves to
0: your, to your goals. And that's a good way to end the podcast. Sunder, there's been some great nuggets of information. Um, You know, for me, not knowing about the world of jazz and just, uh, I've learned a lot in this conversation for somebody listening that, you know, is inspired and, you know, could be the next you. Um, What is the best way for someone to reach out to you if, you know, they want to connect?
1: Yeah, uh, my website is www.sundarmusic.com. And you can email me at at sundarmusic.com. Happy to take your emails. And you can check out my music on my my website as well and look at some videos. Uh, Yeah, I always like to hear from other artists, especially South Asian artists.
0: Yeah, I actually just uh, released an episode maybe three or four episodes ago. B. Beeman. You should check him out. He's got like like I didn't expect the level of quality of like his voice to be Hmm. what it is. It's a very unique sound. What's his name? B. Beeman. B. Beeman. Yeah, you should check it out. I'll send it to you after. He's um, very, very talented. Um, Well, thank you again, Cinder, for jumping on and you know sharing your story considering especially that you know you're you're, you're uh, you got that fatigue going on so I appreciate that yeah no worries, um,
1: thanks for having me
0: yeah no I'm excited to share your story and um, for everyone listening thank you as always and uh, feel free to reach out if there's any feedback and uh, on to the next episode